Hi everybody, today Edgar could not join me to record the introduction and the ending of this podcast. So let's go ahead. What are we going to talk about today? Well, today we are going to talk about what we decide to question. We will discuss uh, whether or not we should explore our own decision to question one thing or another. We will question the urge we might have to intervene during a session. We will talk about our internal dialogues, the themes we address or not, and finally, we will address the need to tolerate a lack in our own practice. Before we move on, I would like to tell you that I'm sorry for the glitches in the last episode. A new version of the last episode has been uploaded. Also, about the current episode you are going to listen to, just keep in mind that the annoying thing when you talk about things you forget to address is that you will still forget to address things to address. Keep that in mind when you are listening to this episode. Well, my name is Grégoire Pierre. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. about how we try to understand our patients' choices. Now, should we also try to understand our own decisions to explore or not the content? Well, short answer, yes. We should explore. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so we're done. we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I think we are. <laughs> okay. Let's try for a slightly longer answer. You know, just to add to your question, uh, what do we want to explore? Do we want to explore what we are thinking or we want to explore the process? My question then would be, should we, as analysts, mm -hmm. question the answer to that? Do we take for granted mm -hmm. that what we explore is the correct thing to explore? We're, we're answering questions with questions, yeah. It seems that we're psychoanalysts. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. might be. Maybe. So you say content and... And process. So some people say process before content, or at least some supervisors would say that. Meaning, what is the progression of thoughts or the progression of words instead of what the content is? I mean, how could you have access to the process without the content? Let's clarify this. Are we talking about our own thinking process? Yes. Exactly. Like you're in session. You see a patient and the patient is like, oh, 
What's the joke on your mug? When you say one thing, but you mean your mother. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So <laughs> that that's my you point. Say one thing. That's my but point. That, that's a content. <laughs> exactly. That's okay. a content. And but you have a patient who says, "Well, oh, I hate this person," and instead of saying this person, they say another person. Mm -hmm. And you decide, "Oh, I'm gonna explore." The content. Do you question eventually why you decided to explore the content and not? But I would not process? explore the content there. I would explore the process. Okay, let's say it differently. <laughs> <laughs> you explore the process <laughs> because if there's a sleep, that is more important than the content. The sleep points towards an unconscious process, which is expressed by the content. By words, yes. In that case. We can question patients being like, oh, you made a slip. What do you think it means? Mm -hmm. Is this reaction a given? That's an easy question in that particular case. For me, it would be more important to explore what was the sleep about. Okay. Which is connected to some unconscious processes. We may get somewhere or not. But you know, here's the, the thing in terms of how I practice is that I am not silent all the time but I don't speak often in session okay. and therefore there's a lot of thoughts coming through my mind and I don't decide to pick one of them I try to understand why the progression of those thoughts and why do I end thinking about the grocery list at so you point. listen to yourself <laughs> while you're listening to the patients Yes, in, in terms of uh, reverie, I, I look at that progression. As Someone has been reading Beyond recently. Beyond? Yes. Well, I needed to go to Beyond because I'm reading the Italian psychoanalysts and they are post-Beyondian. I know. So the Italians, seems like the most of what comes from Italy, mm -hmm. even when I was back in France, seems to be connected to Beyond. Yes. So if I want to understand them, I, I needed to look back into Beyond. Anyhow, let me make a distinction here. If I see a person once a week, that's not how I practice. I am more verbally present with okay. the person because obviously it's a different kind of approach. Different rhythm. Uh, if I'm seeing patients twice, three times a week, then silence is more present, at least from my side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you're not silent. And sometimes I am not silent, therefore I choose something. What's okay. in the progression of my... And so we're going back to the question. Mm -hmm. Involuntarily or unconsciously, mm -hmm. we do tend to choose, if in, even if, it, again, it's not a conscious choice necessarily, to question certain part of our patient's discourse. Correct. And sometimes we choose not to... That is this something you question? Is this something you take into account? I do question myself. Usually I don't have an answer in the moment. Okay. But I do question myself. Why am I experiencing this urge? Let me put it that with that word. Mm -hmm. This urge to pick on this thing the patient is saying and not on that other thing. It's coming with force from within. Okay. And when that is happening, I lean towards not 
doing it, not following the urge. Oh, it seems counterintuitive. Why would you do that? I think because I don't know who said it, but long time ago I read that if this urge is coming to the surface, it might be more about your own unconscious processes than the patient's. Again, as I said, I lean towards, if I am experiencing an urgency mm -hmm. to tell the patient something, mm -hmm. I restrain myself. Because why the urgency? The question is, why now? And the other case would be when I keep asking myself why I'm not f experiencing anything in the room with a patient. And that also, I restrain myself from trying to find something as if I need to find something, a, a needle in a haystack, because I am not feeling anything. So that seems to be more connected to anxiety. The same with the urgency. You mean when we intervene while we don't feel anything? If I'm feeling, let's say, one example, with a patient I was experiencing like there was a huge block, like a concrete block between the patient and I. But I could not understand what, why I was experiencing that. Okay. It took probably four or five sessions before it began to come through the patient's association, the disconnect. So the patient was disconnecting. I didn't know, am I the one who is disconnecting or is the patient who is disconnecting? I didn't know. Then I wanted to connect, so to say something. Mm-hmm. But if that seems to come from a place of anxiety, my anxiety. And so in such case, could you actually verbalize that you feel anxiety? I would not verbalize that. If I were to say something, I would say, it seems that there's a block here between the two of us. But it didn't feel appropriate at that point with this patient to say that. Do you have a sense why? This is a difficult situation because immediately I go to the patient is resisting. Yeah, of course. Of course. We're, we've been... Because you're good. Very well trained <laughs> to do that. I'm not sure if I'm good. <laughs> of course I'm good. Anyhow, we're so, very well trained to, good, to go... So the patient resists. The patient is resisting. Mm, which is bad. And... Well, sometimes a patient needs to resist because we are bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect this one. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. <laughs> the patient needs to defend against us. Against because we're awful. Yeah. No, that's, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that's good. I, I do encourage patients to resist when we are bad. <laughs> Let's take the example of this situation. You know, I immediately went to the patient is resisting, but I didn't know. If that was true or not, so I decided to stay silent. Why would I, s I say something like, oh, it seems like you're not connecting to me. You want to avoid a connection with me. You are. Why would I say that with this patient in particular? Mm. You know, mm. With other patients, it would be different. But with this one in particular, my sense is that that would not propel the treatment forward. So just as a parenthesis, what you're saying and what maybe our audience should pay attention to or is that we do not react the same way depending on the patient 
and where the patient is at that moment in time. Yeah, of course. We mentioned that before, but mm-hmm. I think it's always good to remind people of that. Yeah. What we are saying is never a go-to or a how-to. Yes. Because depending on the patient, depending on where the patient stands, or depending also where you stand, mm-hmm. a different reaction will occur. Yeah. The experience with this patient is that there was a block. Mm-hmm. The experience with a different patient is that the patient was throwing little pieces in the middle of the room, meaning words and statements, and the patient wanted me to pick those and give them an interpretation. Oh. So I didn't. I just said, you're throwing pieces in the middle of the room. A description. It was just a description. That's how I experienced what was happening. And you can look at that from the perspective of resistance of the patient, of course, or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know. But more than interpreting, you are resisting the treatment what I just said is that you're throwing little pieces and that allowed the patient to realize that, yep, indeed, they were very angry with me and therefore sh- they were trying to cut the free association so that they were withdrawing from the therapeutic process. Going back to the question at the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Are those the kind of things that you question? Those kind of interventions. Yeah. The fact that you decided to intervene at that moment. Mm-hmm. Or do you just think, oh, I just did my job, it was the right thing to do, whatever. I do ask a lot of questions to myself. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. As you can see with these two different patients, the intervention was completely different. One, I decided to stay silent mm-hmm. until a few sessions went on and the patient got where the patient needed to go and told me something that was meaningful to the patient. In the other case, I said, you're throwing pieces to me. But in both cases, I was very slow in doing the intervention or no intervention because I was pondering, should I stay silent? Or should I say this? So I'm, I was pondering. If we, when we stay around that perception of the question, I do also experience something like that now. I mean, it's been a few years that I've been trying to talk less during the sessions with my patients. Uh, not just to talk less for the sake of talking less, but to have a better sense of when it's relevant. Yeah. And often the way I deal with it or I have been dealing with it for a few years now, is that in my head, very fast, mm-hmm. goes some kind of hypothetical or I, some hypothetical dialogues with the patient. Me thinking, okay, if I say this, this is my own fault. If I say that, this is my own fault. And I don't take it as the truth because it's my projection of what of could course. happen, which is who knows <laughs> not More the reality <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it helps me contain my urge sometime which as you say i agree uh, is somewhat uh, related to anxiety to intervene mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. thinking okay i could say this but what's the damn point i feel like there are many interventions we could do and they would bring very little value mm-hmm to the ongoing flow of the analysis. Mm-hmm. 
at the end of the day, I don't do that all the time. Most of my interventions now, I don't think about them before I mm. express them. Mm -hmm. I tend to think it's better. I want to believe at least that it's more connected to the psychical flow. Yeah, okay. Because the more you bring intellect, it's not systematic, can be like kind of defensive on both hands. I agree, you know, you can be defensive by always asking the question, why do I want to say this or not say this? I yeah, and also you can be defensive by bringing a very intellectual interpretation. One question that is not always in my awareness, but I think I try to remind myself from time to time is, are my, my intervention going to propel the treatment forward? Or this is about decreasing my anxiety? Or is this about trying to comfort the patient? Which is about anxiety as well. To confront the patient? No, to com comfort. Oh, comfort. To comfort the patient, you know. With an intervention, am, am I opening the field or am I closing the field? Meaning there will be less opportunities for the patient to process feelings and inner experience. So that's a fundamental question. But I'm not all the time thinking, is this going to propel the treatment or not? Well, I, I kind of do. <laughs> you do it? I mean, not all the time, but that's actually, that's something of the example I give. Is mm -hmm. that when I feel the anxiety to say something in my head, mm -hmm. here goes some kind of internal dialogue. Like, mm -hmm. if I say that, is it going to help? If I say this, is it going to help? And usually at the end of the, uh, of the thoughts, I usually don't talk. Yeah. I have a similar experience, you know. That's why I kind of feel like it's more about me trying to yeah. just... Am I trying to present myself as, uh, wow, I make this great interpretation? What you just said makes me think of is that what can happen is that through the scenario I just tried in my head, then I can sometimes come up with transference hypothesis. Uh-huh. Okay. Being yes. like, okay, I'm thinking that way. Maybe I am being touched that way or mm -hmm. I am projecting or am I transferring that way and that can help me position myself better mm -hmm. in the sense of trying to find hypothesis around. Who are you in the transference? Yes, who am I mm -hmm. and who might the patient be to me? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I'm, it goes in both directions. I'm a believer that psychoanalysts mm -hmm. do transfers on the patients mm -hmm. aside from reacting to the patient's transference. I think there's both. It's a very complex field, what some people call the intersubjective field. It's very complex. It's not the observer and the one who is observed. Yeah. The two are observing and being observed. Yeah. And From a different place. It's an asymmetrical relationship and therefore from a different vantage point, but we are observing and being observed. That leads me to another aspect of the question, the question of the themes mm -hmm. that we address and that we do not address. Mm -hmm. I think it was Lacan, maybe it was Freud, who mentioned that the patient only goes as far as the analyst can go. Mm -hmm. Also displacing the resistance onto the analyst at the end of the day, mm -hmm. by the way. They are themes that we might not question because of who we are. Agree. And that is often unspoken. I would say so. Like, 
I'm gonna give some outdated examples. Today, when I receive a man who loves other men, a woman who loves other women, mm-hmm. I do not spend much, if any, actually, time mm-hmm. questioning why. Mm-hmm. Agree. I can I certainly question the how? Mm-hmm. But why a man loves other men or loves other women? Just like yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. It's a choice that's acceptable today. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that 50 years ago it was completely different. No, the why was important then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you like your mother too much? Not enough. Blah blah blah. Do you have a full conflict? Blah blah yeah, blah. Yeah. All of okay. that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But yeah. this is an example of things that we don't question. It's something that we brought up with a podcast we did around uh, social. We have blind spots. They're not necessarily mean blind spots, Mm -hmm. but we don't necessarily think about certain things. How do you think about these aspects of our work? I would say that if we fall into the trap of the politics of identity, we might have blind spots regarding just the example you gave. A man loves another man or have sex with another man. Without loving him? That's bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not about the why, it's about the what and how. What is it for you to love another man? What is How do you love another man? That's more important than the why. But I think the blind spot is not there. The blind spot is usually with the straight people. Okay. We never would ask the why are you straight? Well, Freud eventually tried to. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he wrote a lot about it. <laughs> yeah. We don't go to the why, but... I don't think a lot of people ask the what and the how of someone being straight. I know. And that is connected to politics of identity and therefore become uh, blind spots. That's a little bit different, I think, from the blind spots we may have because something is out of our awareness. There are some unconscious processes that we have not analyzed. I remember a discussion we had with our dear friend. Uh-huh. And she was upset. Okay. You were mentioning working with a straight man. Uh-huh. And I said, did you consider in the work what it felt for him to work with you uh-huh. as a gay man? Mm-hmm. And was upset. Mm-hmm. Did she yell at me? I wouldn't say so, but something like that. <laughs> <laughs> And saying, yeah, but we don't ever ask that if it's the other way around. Like you have, I'm straight. You're straight. I'm yeah. straight, yeah. For uh-huh. those who didn't understand that uh. so far. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. All the sexy men in the world. <laughs> Too bad. Uh, so I, I have patients who are men and love other men. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, would you do that? The thing is... I do. I And we should. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but that opened for me the question years later, because it was years ago, but things go slow with the podcast. So that opened to me the question like, okay, so maybe that's something we should actually bring up in the podcast, because even if to me it's obvious, mm-hmm. that of course it's a question that should be asked. Mm-hmm. And actually it can be asked to anybody. It shouldn't be asked, I think, from 
out of nowhere. No, it has to be, be within the context of a discussion. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I had a patient many times say, "Yeah, well, oh, you're you're not gay. Yeah, of course, if you were gay, you would know that. I should find a gay therapist." And I would be like, "Yes, why? Tell me." Talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. I want to know what you think is missing. I want to have an idea of your uh, mm-hmm. thoughts about it. I'm curious. It's not a given. Well, it's like another curiosity. Yeah, it's a difference. There are things indeed I will be less aware of. Mm-hmm. But I also want to think that the different in object choice will also bring other things that might be hard to think yeah mm-hmm. for instance when the father probably was most likely uh heterosexual there might be also something that it might be replaying in the case of uh, mm-hmm. might not be but that's the kind of thing it's not neutral that you will present to the world and that your interaction with yourself and with others is going to mm-hmm. be one way or the other Mm-hmm. So yes, I, I so I did answer, but I, I do. Yes, maybe in in a more general sense, it might not be asked because it seems it's taking us at the normal, perhaps, or it has been. There's a lot of assumptions, of course. Uh, a man comes to you, and you assume immediately that that is a man, that is a cis man, or uh, do you assume a straight man? All of that, of course, we make assumptions. I make assumptions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't want to make assumptions. So, one, for example, in one particular case, when there was an opening, I wanted to know from my patient if he had been socialized as a little boy or not. Because I, I didn't know. What do you mean socialized as a little boy? That when he was born and then was growing, that he would be treated as a boy. I don't want to make that assumption. What if this patient of mine was assigned female at birth and therefore was socialized as a little girl? I didn't know. So when the patient began to talk about childhood and I knew there was an opening, I asked And I said, I don't want to assume anything. Were you raised, socialized, raised as a little boy? And the patient said, yes, I was a little boy. But you ask without any hint that he might not have been? I cannot assume. I didn't know. It's like when a patient says my partner or my my romantic partner or my housemate how do i know if it's a man a woman or a trans person what i don't know but for some reason the patient keeps using words and pronouns that do not convey who is this other one or in the case of a patient that i said you know were you raised as a little boy socialized as a little boy i was not sure but you don't think that not being sure might indicate that there was a doubt? That maybe there was... I mean, that if you were to give present a situation like that to me in a supervision, I would be like, could you have been sensitive to some kind of uncertainty in the way this person was raised? Maybe. But maybe 
if that's the case, it will show up later on in the treatment. Certainly, yeah. Certainly. But at least for now, I needed to have some clarity. I did that with this patient. I do it. So this is just an example of how I try to not make assumptions. But it's not possible to not make assumptions. I try not to make assumptions. You I try will not make to, them. But it's not I possible. will make them. Yes. And what I would like to suggest is that the risk, and this goes back to Lacan's quote, mm -hmm. might be that whatever we don't question because of our history, mm -hmm. and I want that to be heard very broadly, then won't that create some kind of vacuum for the analysis? Meaning that mm -hmm. it's a place where both the analyst and the patient might hide. Yes. Maybe unconsciously. Oh, yeah. But that's where curiosity or psychoanalytic curiosity takes the lead. You know, I remember one patient telling me something about their tattoos. And I said, oh, I didn't know that you have tattoos. And of course I didn't know because I could not see them. They were covered. But if I had not said that, oh, I didn't know you have tattoos. And the patient said, yes, they are here. And, you know pointed to their chest. You know, it goes back to, I think, to the question of the aggression I was referring to a few podcasts ago. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we try to be nice to our patients, uh -huh. but then we assume something and it might actually foreclose uh, exactly. what they have but didn't mention to us before. Yes. Like you would say to this patient, oh, all people who have, you're never going to say that, but people who have uh, tattoos, they're all suckers. Yeah, or oh, by the way, I have, I have tattoos. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you're a sucker. <laughs> Stand my ground. Yeah. So that I was, you know, the patient says, I have tattoos. I said, I didn't know. Where are they? What are they? And when I found out, I was, it made so much sense. It was connected to the childhood in a way that, we had not been able to explore before because of the form of the tattoos and where they were located. So I just asked, tell me about them. Yeah, I was thinking that we tend to ask our patients what feels foreign to us. Mm-hmm, that's true, yes. Mm -hmm. And what is not, then smooth sailing. Like, oh, you did that, I do it too. Fine. Yeah, fine. We mm -hmm. tend to do that. I agree. Yeah. yeah, we tend also. I mean, I know that in my practice, sometimes like uh, I know I tend to do it. I know it's fucked up, so I should question <laughs> it for them <laughs> if they do the same thing I do, <laughs> and see what comes up. Uh, at least uh, the fantasies they have, which are going to be different than mine. Mm -hmm. What you mentioned made me think about how there's something about also tolerating within ourselves, within the frame and uh, for the patient, that we cannot be completely available. What do you mean? I feel like some of the discourse that are currently penetrating from the social psychoanalysis are often going to, don't ask, you should know. Don't well, ask about people. But that's people not psychoanalysis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. <laughs> Okay, we agree on that, but that's... <laughs> we agree on that. Some people might be annoyed at us <laughs> for saying that. But anyway, so like people of color, uh, trans people, uh, gay people, I don't hear that much, but it might be happening also. Like 
don't ask me what my experience is. You should know. That is a difficult situation some people are put in. And I feel like what you mentioned brings up how important it is for us to tolerate that we won't know, that despite our best effort, the analysis mm -hmm. is not only going to bring up unsatisfactory results, mm -hmm. but it's also going to be structurally lacking. Yeah. Because we are lacking. Yeah. So can we tolerate castration? Yeah. Mm, or tolerate loss or tolerate so not knowing. Maybe the loss of something of an all-powerful All-powerful. That would know everything. Yes. That <laughs> would be all curious, that would be mm -hmm. all open. I'm not saying that to excuse people who are staying in a, in a rigid and not curious situation. Still, I think we should certainly try to improve and be more curious and stay curious. But to also hear that despite our best effort, we are going to fail. Mm -hmm. We are going to assume when we shouldn't assume. Yeah. We are going to forget something, to bring up something, to not bring up something, because we can't. And we might offer a fucked up interpretation that <laughs> disrupts a patient in the treatment. It may happen. All of that is part of not knowing. And how can we position ourselves that wouldn't be, it's okay, we can excuse everything, but that wouldn't also be, we have to be better, otherwise we're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the documentary, I think, Iptar released on uh, Black Analysts. Uh-huh. And I feel like those people, what they expressed was that they couldn't be heard in some aspects of their life. Mm-hmm. How do you answer that? How do you create a psychoanalytic practice that tries to prevent such situations? Meaning being unheard? Yeah. But there are parts of every one of us that has not been heard. Have not been heard, meaning there are parts of me that I haven't heard. <laughs> I'm going to feed that a little bit. I'm from France. Yeah. My psychoanalyst currently is also from France. And it feels important to me to have someone who can somewhat be like oh yeah yeah it's true it's different in the US yes it's true like what the way you do that in France it would mostly be fine but mm -hmm. here I think I could be heard on that from someone who's not French mm -hmm. but I feel like to a more persecutory degree that what those analysts were referring to. Mm -hmm. Like something of their experience that could not be heard from their analyst. I am assuming that the analyst unconsciously didn't think that the question of their experience of race was relevant in mm -hmm. the analytic frame. Yeah. yeah. Of course, it's an erasure. Erase part of a patient. What I'm pointing is, uh -huh. I don't, is that it's very possible that we are still doing it. I agree. Yes. I d we, depending on, on what identity it is, but we might have some... Uh, uh, maybe on different subjects also, you know? Yes, not only identities, but, but themes. Themes, themes that we are in not the aware psychoanalytic of room. 
that we might unconsciously decide not to see or to hear. So what can we do about that? Trust the process and hope that the patient will shake us up. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> what else? Or, and of course, you know, sitting down with colleagues and having supervisors of different experiences and going to study groups and all of that helps. But I think what helps the most is when the patient is able to see or say, or at least we hear in the unconscious communication, you're not listening to me. Yeah. You're missing the point here. And perhaps I am missing the point there. Yeah. So when a patient is strong enough, courageous enough to tell you you're missing the point, mm -hmm. even if we have no idea what the patient is referring to. Exactly. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> we should. Oh my! We should what, take that what did very I mean? seriously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is it for today. We will come back to this theme in a future episode, not next month, but in a not so distant future, I assume, because the following episodes are going to be with Tenil Blair Neff on a very different subject that we do tend to forget to address too. I want to add that we discussed at the end that what matters might not be where an analyst comes from as much as what an analyst is able to hear. For instance, I don't think that it's just about being X, Y, or Z, but more about being open to a certain perception of being X, Y, or Z. That's attunement. And then, do not get too close to the patient, because doing so closes the space to think the unknown. Thank you for listening to us. If you have any questions, any comment, feel free to reach us on Facebook, Twitter, or directly on discussions on psychoanalysis at pm.me. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>